Hello, and welcome to the Church 860 podcast. My name is Pastor Chris, and I'm the lead pastor of Church 860 located in Westerville, Ohio. Our podcast will have daily episodes uploaded where we have curated some of the best Bible teaching from across the globe. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for this family that uh, we can enjoy one another. We can celebrate your goodness, God, that we can fellowship together. Thank you, God, that we can sing our praises. And it's just so good to hear like-minded people lifting up their heart to God. And I'm blessed by that. Pray, God, that as as we go through these words, Lord, that you would humble our hearts, that you would draw us close to you, that you would prepare us, Lord, perhaps for what may be ahead, that you would guide and direct us, that our eyes would be open to just how much you love us. I pray that you would help me to rightly divide your word and that uh, all of us would leave this place loving you more. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, I need another. Milk would be good. Milk would be real good. Um, Prayer meeting at 1020. If you guys aren't doing anything, be a part of that. It's important that we pray. Our our theme for this year is uh, from Romans chapter 12. I think it's verse 12. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Hopefully we will be, we are a praying church. Hopefully husbands, you're praying with your wives. You're praying over your kids as family. You're praying together over meals. You're praying as much as you possibly can. Um, And then join us for prayers as well. Um, And it was either C.S. Lewis or Spurgeon. I can't remember who said it, but he said, uh, a great preacher, either way, said, the, the best gift that you can give me is, is to say I'm praying for you. And I, I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. Um, as, as our family is, is trying to um, do many different things, I would say, please pray for the Rogers household. Please pray for me as I try to lead this church that I have the wisdom that I need. So prayer is essential, important. So please, please pray. Okay, John 16. Speaking of, um, we're kind of headed toward 17, strangely enough, which uh, we'll, we'll get to over the next couple weeks. That's the high priestly prayer that Jesus prays uh, for himself and for us as well. So we're kind of headed today toward the end of his, what's known as the upper room discourse. It ends with the prayer, but the teaching from the upper room discourse is, is going to, we're going to finish up today in John 16. Jesus has been saying, teaching them as uh, teaching the disciples as he's headed toward the cross. The word would say he loved them to the end. He's pouring into their lives, even in the midst of knowing that he's about to be arrested. What was he saying? We read it at the beginning of John 15. Hey, abide in me. Hang out in me. Live in my way. Live in my word. Let me pour into you. Let me, don't leave me is what he's saying. Abide in me. As a, a branch would, or sorry, as a vine would abide in the branch. And without the branch, the vine has no life at all. So is two of the Christian and Christ. That without Christ, we have no life at all. Abide in me is what he's telling them. How do we do that? He said, obey my commandments. If you love me, Obey my commandments and I will abide in you and you shall abide in me, is what he says. Well, what commandment is he speaking of? He said specifically, love the way that I have loved. That's the way you're to love as well. That's the commandment I want you to abide in. How has he loved? Well, we read that last week. Greater love is no one than this, than the one that's laid down his life for his friends. 
Christ laid down his life that we might have life. And then he commands those who follow him to love in that way as well to give, to serve, to care for. Remember, this all began with Jesus getting up from the table and washing the disciples' feet. He set an example in that for you and I, that we are to care for others, that we are to serve others, that we are to encourage, to build up, to invest in, to bless one another. And then he said, you're going to need that as Christ followers. And we do. We need the encouragement, the fellowship of the saints. We're not to forsake that, the word would tell us. We need that, that edification that comes from just being together. I'm so blessed to, to sit up here and listen to you guys sing as we're all singing together. It's, it's a, it refreshes my soul. And we need that. Why? Well, as we read last week, because the world tears us down. The, don't be surprised that you'll be hated is what Jesus said last week. Don't be caught caught off guard by that. And he's going to continue in that line this week. He says, he tells them, before we start, he says, you will be hated. You will be hated. But he also says, but you are my friend. And given the choice between being liked by the world or being a friend of Jesus, I'm going to pick being a friend of Jesus every time. So let it be that I'll be hated by the world. That's fine. Because to be a friend of His, there is no greater place to be than in Him. So verse 1 of John 16, He says, These things I've spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. He knows that what he's saying is difficult and hard for them to hear. The first thing he said is, hey guys, I'm leaving. I know you've hung out with me for three years, but I'm leaving. These things are spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. He's trying to give them a warning. Sometimes we need to be made aware of the things that we don't like. We need to be made aware of some truth that we don't like. And the loving thing to do is to not hide the truth even if it hurts. Hiding the truth is not a loving thing. And so Jesus speaks these hard things like you will be hated for a reason that we would not stumble. He doesn't hide the truth. He speaks it lovingly. He issues the warning. They are going to hate you. And we don't want to hear that, do we? I don't want to hear that. I don't like confrontation. I'm not real big on people coming up to me and and getting in my face and saying, I don't like you. I hate you. I don't like the idea of being spit upon. That happened to Christ. I'm not looking for that in my life. But as I follow Him, there's a chance that that may happen. That we will be hated. And Jesus tells them ahead of time so that when it does happen, they won't be tripped up. They'll be able to remember, oh, Maybe this day was, you know, Jesus said this was going to happen. And that's the loving thing to do. And then he continues with this theme, and even if you want to say he ramps it up a bit, look at verse 2. They will put you out of the synagogues. Yeah, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. And so not only does he say, hey, they're going to hate you, but they're also going to put you out of the synagogue and they might even kill you. 
As he's looking at these 11 guys, he he explains to them, first, you know, they'll hate you. Next, they're going to put you out of the synagogue. And you and I today, do we understand that? Probably not entirely. Because if we get kicked out of a church, there's another one down the street that we can go to. That wasn't the case in that day. You were kicked out of the synagogue. You weren't just kicked out of that particular synagogue. You were kicked out of the synagogue. You were blacklisted and not permitted to fellowship any longer with anybody. On top of that, you were blacklisted in your business. Had you been excommunicated, you've been kicked out of the synagogue, nobody would buy anything from you any longer. Which means you lost your income. Which means you don't have a way to provide for your family. Which means you're on hard times. Not only that, your Facebook friends would go from 400 to zero. Everybody would unfriend you. Your Twitter followers would be gone. It was far worse than being kicked out of a church. They were kicked out of society. They were blacklisted. You'd be put out of the synagogue. And then he even says, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think he's offering God service. What? 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 Jesus? You, you do, do what to who? But he knows as he stares into the eyes of these 11 guys, that nearly all of them would be killed. Their lives would be taken for their faith. Perhaps the only one that didn't, that actually got to die of old age, was John. (laughs) And they tried to kill him. (laughs) But it didn't work. They boiled him in oil. And finally, they're like, I just go to Patmos. Die there. And at 90 years old, he's writing the Gospel to us. And we get to read it today. What Jesus? They're, they're gonna, they're gonna kill us. They would be killed for their faith in Jesus. Yeah. The teens could tell that the shouts and chanting were getting closer and closer. An older teen looked nervously at his friend. The Muslims are coming. We better hide the kids, he said. Others following his lead, helped by the smaller children, helped the smaller children find hiding places in the buildings nearby. Then they hid themselves. It was January, and a crowd of mostly Christian children and teenagers had gathered for a Bible camp at the station field complex of Patamura University on the island of Ambon, Indonesia. When the camp was over, cars came to take the laughing, rejoicing children back to their homes, but there were not enough cars to hold the young people. Meki Sanyakit and three other Christian men had gone to Wakal Village to try to rent additional transportation to take the rest home, but they had not come back. When the uh, what the kids. I'm sorry, what the kids waiting for rides home didn't know was that on their way to the village, the men were attacked by a Muslim mob who pulled them from their car and out onto the road. Meki and one of the other men were stabbed to death, and later their bodies were burned by the mob. The two other men escaped with their lives. Before long, the mob reached the university. They found many of the teens and forced them to come out of hiding. Roy Ponto was forced from his hiding place and made to stand 
before the mob. Renounce your Jesus or we will kill you, they threatened. Roy was terribly frightened. Though trembling, he answered, I am a soldier of Christ. At this, one of the Muslim attackers swung a sword at his stomach. The sword hit, uh, hit the Bible Roy held and ripped, it in, ripped into it, knocking it out of his hand. The man's next swing sliced open Roy's stomach. His last word was Jesus. The mob dragged Roy's body out and threw it in a ditch. Four days later, his family found it. Even though they are racked with grief, Roy's parents stand proud of their son who stood strong in the faith to the end. Roy Ponto, Indonesia, 15 years old, 1999. Sounds like it might be something from biblical times, a story that, I mean, yes, there's cars and I get it, you know, although, you know, they were all in one accord, but uh, sorry. Sounds like something from biblical times. It's very real. And many of our brothers and sisters wake up every day wondering, is today the day I die? Is today the day I die for my faith? We don't have that fear here. We don't know what that means. But our brothers and sisters do. A Christian prisoner in Cuba was asked to sign a statement containing charges against fellow Christians that would lead to their arrest. He said, these chains keep me from signing this. The communist offer protested, but you are not in chains. I am, said the Christian. I am bound by the chain of witnesses who throughout the centuries gave their lives for Christ. And I am a link in this chain and I will not break it. My question today, if they come to you, are you going to break the chain? Today we don't live in the fear of wondering if today is the last day we live because of our faith in this country. But those days might be coming. And I think it's my job to equip you that should those days come, to make sure you're ready. And the way that you and I can do that is by saying now, I stand for my God. Come hell or high water, I stand for my God. Though it separate me from my family, though it separate me from anything in this world, I stand for my God. The gospel goes forth on the blood of the saints. The way the church spreads is by persecution. The book Safely Home, I highly recommend you read it. It's written by Randy Alcorn. It's a fictional book, but it's, it's, he, he presents, and I wish I could remember exactly the analogy, he presents the idea that as, as the church, we are a glass. And when the glass is broken and spread... It, it means the glass is spread. 
<laughs> it means it's still glass. It's still the church. It's Even though it's been broken, it's been persecuted, it is still the church, and it spreads that much farther. The, the gospel goes forth on the blood of the saints. The church advances when it's persecuted. And that day may be on our doorstep. Are you ready? Are you prepared should that day come to you? This book, Martyrs, written by the guys at DC Talk and the Voice of the Martyrs, stories like that over and over and over again, from biblical times until modern day times, people giving their lives. The truth of the matter is, more Christians have died for their faith since 1900 than died in the previous 1900 years combined. Persecution is on the rise, church. More people have died in the last 114 years than in the previous 1900 combined because of their faith. And so, may we be ready. Saul did it. Remember it said, Jesus said, they'll they'll think that God is doing them a favor. They're doing a favor for God. Saul did it with Stephen as he stood and looked on, as he stood and, and, and approved of Stephen being stoned. He had zeal. Paul, Saul, who became Paul, was zealous in his faith, uh, though misguided, and he thought he was doing the right thing. And I love that God got a hold of him on the Damascus Road. And he said, what are you doing? Why are you kicking against the goads? And he said, Lord, who is it? Jesus and changed his life and turned turned him around. But Saul, while he was still Saul, believed that what he was doing, he was doing for God. May we be prepared for what comes. I know that you weren't looking for this on Memorial Day weekend. Aren't we supposed to have a picnic and a good time? Yeah. But Memorial Day is more than just picnics and good times. It's remembering those that have died for us. That's right. And Christianity is more than just singing songs and laughter. Sometimes it's a battle. Sometimes it's a battle. Okay, we better pick up the pace or we'll never get done. Verse 4, These things I've told you that when the time comes you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. He's saying, I'm leaving. I'm telling you these things that you might not stumble. Remember that I told you them before they happened and believed. He's telling them, he's trying to prepare them that when they do happen, they wouldn't stumble. But now I go away to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. As they look at Jesus and he says, hey, I am going away. Their hearts are broken over that. Why? Because they misunderstood what Jesus was coming for. I shared with this as we walked through Easter season. They thought that he was all about the political kingdom. That he was coming to rule and reign and take over Israel. And they were hoping to ride on the coattails of Jesus and be be elevated to a position of prominence. And so they were excited about that. And so when Jesus wrecks their dreams and says, no, I'm leaving, they're like, what do we do now? Their, 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 their dreams literally are shattered because they don't understand. They don't know where He's going. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, verse 7, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send Him to you. 
If they understood what Jesus was about, then what he would say, or what he was saying would make sense. It's to your advantage that I go away. This is a better thing. This is a better plan. It's greater than a political reign. It's a, a, a deliverance from sin and death. This, this plan that the Father has to redeem the world is far grander than what you have in your puny little mind. And we would hear that. Because far too often we think we've got the, the solution. You know, we've got it planned out. We've got, I know how to solve this problem. I know what to do. And God's like, I've got a far grander plan. I've got, just trust me. We taught through 2 Corinthians chapter 10 Wednesday night. Um, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back because it was the Lord who did it. But um, probably one of my favorite sermons I ever taught. Um, encourage you to download it off the web. Uh, it talks about the battle that we're in. Second Corinthians 10, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God, in God through the pulling down of strongholds, um, casting out arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ and taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And so we talked about that at length on Wednesday night. And, and I like that line, that, it, that um, the weapons will take down every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ, because you and I do that on a continual basis. I know the plan. Jesus, I got this figured out. I don't need your help. I know the best way. You're exalting yourself against the knowledge of Christ. (laughs) How preposterous for you to think that you have a better way than God. And I do it all the time. I do it. But trust the Lord. Trust His plan. Why is it better that he go away? It is to your advantage that I go away. Well, Jesus, when he walked the earth in order to be fully human, which he was, had to take on the limitations of humanness. Philippians chapter two, if you want to read about that, it's called the kenosis. It's the emptying of himself. He had to take on the, the mantle of being human. What is, what is one of the limitations of human, humanity? We are not omnipresent. We can't be everywhere at one time. Like that. I, I could think of two or three places I'd like to be at one time. That would be kind of, as long as I'm working and hanging out on the beach, that's cool. You know, I, I can handle that. But we are not omnipresent, unfortunately. And so we can only be one place at one time. That means Jesus, while he walked the earth, we could only be one place at one time. And so he says, it's to my, it's to your advantage that I go away. Why? Because I'm going, I'm going to high five the Holy Spirit. We're going to tag team. I'm going to go and sit at the Father's right hand. I'm going to send him to you. The Holy Spirit is omnipresent and can dwell at all places at all times, including in the, in the heart of each and every believer in Christ. And so it's to our advantage that Christ went away. Why? Because he sits at the right hand of the Father. He sent the Holy Spirit who dwells in our heart. We don't have to travel to some location to meet with Jesus. We have Jesus in our heart through the Holy Spirit. And so it is to our advantage that he go away. Even though they didn't understand these things, sorrow had filled their heart. Uh, verse 8. And when He has come, He will convict the world. When He, being the Spirit, when He has come, He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they do not believe in Me. Of righteousness because I go to My Father and you see Me no more. Of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. All right, so we need to probably put on our thinking caps just a little bit here as we try to understand these verses, because I read them three or four times, and I was like, "Eh, maybe I'm simpler than you, I'm not sure, but 
All right, Jesus, what exactly are you trying to say here? Okay, let's tear it apart. Let's first look at what was what is the role of the Holy Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit do? We read that last week in John 15. Go back to verse 26 if you've got your Bible open just real quickly. When the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, who proceeds from the Father, here's the role. He will testify of me. The role of the Holy Spirit in my life, in your life, the life of a believer is to testify of Jesus. It's to point our lives toward Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And not just our lives, but He works in and through us, and so He points other people's lives through us toward Jesus. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. And so as the Spirit testifies of Jesus, what is accomplished is this conviction spoken of in these verses, the conviction of sin, the conviction of righteousness, and the conviction of judgment. And so that's that's perhaps the role of the Holy Spirit is to point people to Jesus. The way or the primary way that the Spirit does that is through these convictions, the conviction of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Let's look at each one in its place. First, he says, of sin because they do not believe in me. The Holy Spirit convicts of sin because they do not believe in Jesus. Notice it says sin. It does not say sins. It's a singular sin. There is one sin that will keep people from heaven. One sin that will keep people from being with Jesus for all of eternity. And that is the sin of unbelief. It's called the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. It is not believing what the Holy Spirit has convicted you of. It's not believing the gospel. And that is what keeps us from the righteousness of God. That is what keeps us from heaven, is not believing in Jesus. All of, all of Christianity is based on belief. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Whoever should what? Believe on Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. We believe in Him or we don't believe in Him. That is what allows us into His presence or keeps us from His presence. The matter of belief. And so the sin that is that the Spirit convicts of is that they do not believe in Him. It says this, the Spirit will convict of righteousness because I go to the Father and you see Me no more. How does the Spirit convict of righteousness? What is righteousness? Righteousness is right living. Living right. And so He's going to convict of us of our right living. What does that mean? Well, most of us think we're better than we are. (laughs) I'm a pretty good guy. And you talk to most non-Christians in this world, and you say, why do you think you get to go to heaven? Well, because I'm better than most people. And we think we have a righteousness that we don't. That's contrary to the Word of God. The Word of God would say our righteousness is like filthy rags. I won't go into the detail of that. Suffice to say, it's a disgusting thing. The best we have is a disgusting thing in our righteousness. And so what does he say? Well, because Jesus goes to the Father, the Spirit convicts us of righteousness. Why? Jesus is the standard of righteousness. The the standard of righteousness, that allows Jesus into the presence of the Father. That He was perfect in His righteousness allows Him into the presence of the Father and sits at His right hand. And so that is the standard. And so the, the conviction of righteousness is how does your righteousness in your own deeds measure up to that of the righteousness of Christ? And I hope you say, miserably short. And I'll say, if you don't say that, then does your righteousness raise the dead? 
because his did. Anybody else say that? Can Muhammad say that? Can Allah say that? Can, you know, can um, Gandhi say that? No, they're all dead. Jesus raised. And so his righteousness is the standard. Now, before you get too downcast about that, it's not based on our righteousness. It's based on his. And in the great exchange of the cross, Jesus pays the penalty for our sin. He buys our redemption and he imputes to us, he gives to us his righteousness. And so you and I, we're as righteous as we're ever going to be, not because of how good we are, how well we've done, but because Christ has given us his righteousness. So when the Father looks at us, he looks at us through the lens of Jesus' righteousness. And he says, now you're good enough. Now now the, the right standard has been met, and so you can come into the presence of a holy Father. And so we praise him for his grace and his mercy. He also says that the Spirit convicts of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Who is the ruler of this world? That would be our adversary, Satan. And we spent some time speaking about him on Wednesday night. Again, encourage you to hear that. We don't battle against flesh and blood, is what Ephesians would say, but against principalities and rulers of this world. We gave Satan the keys when we fell in the garden but judgment is rendered on him at the cross. The work of the cross is the judgment against Satan. It goes back to the curse given to him back in the, in the early part of Genesis where God tells the serpent, he, uh, you shall bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. And Christ, through the cross, crushes, judges this, the ruler of this world. Now, the conviction is a good thing. Hear that, Christian. Christians uh, look for and we want conviction in our lives. Why? Because the Holy Spirit brings it. Conviction draws us closer to Christ when we realize that we are sin, that we've, we have sinned and fallen short of His glory. I need a Savior. Conviction is what does that and draws us close to Him. When I recognize my standard of righteousness is not where it needs to be. Thank God for Jesus. And that conviction pushes me toward Jesus. The role of the Holy Spirit. He brings conviction to draw us closer to Jesus. Condemnation is not good. Condemnation different than conviction. Condemnation pulls us from Him. And in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So conviction for the believer is a good thing. Condemnation is not. He says in verse 12, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. <laughs> I love that. Jesus continuing to teach them, loves them to the end. He's headed toward the garden where he's about to be arrested and betrayed. He's like, I've got a bunch more to say to you, but you're not ready, so I'm not going to say it. Oh, well, um, okay, Jesus, um, you're about to die. When were you thinking you wanted to do this? Does Tuesday look good? Oh, no, you'll be gone by then. Okay, um, when are we going to do this then, Jesus? Look at the next verse. However, when he... The Spirit of truth has come. He will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak on His own authority. But whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will tell you the things to come. 
I love that. So yes, Jesus is going to the Father. He's going to high-five the Holy Spirit and send the Spirit to us. The conversation's going to continue. God is God is God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They all have the same message. So it's perfectly fine that Jesus says, I've got much more to say to you. Though I'm dying, the Holy Spirit's going to come. He'll just pick up the conversation where we left off. And as you are ready, as you uh, learn these things and understand these things, the Holy Spirit will continue to lead you. He will guide you into all truth. And He does do that. Christian, ask for wisdom. Mm -hmm. Ask for wisdom of the Lord. James would tell us that He grants it. How many times in this past year, as I've taken over and tried to lead this church, have I prayed, Lord, grant me wisdom? And, and I feel like He has every time. The answer has been there. He will lead us in the truth. Verse 14, He, being the Spirit, will glorify me, being Jesus. He will glorify me, for He will take of what is mine and declare it to you. Again, the primary role of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Jesus. I know you're looking at it and say, how are we going to finish this? But we will. Just hold on. All these things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that He will take of mine and declare it to you. A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me, because I go to the Father. (laughs) I like that the disciples are simple, because I can just envision Him saying that, and them looking at Him and just blinking. Because that's what I would do. That's what I did when I read this. A little while and you will not see me anymore. Then a little while you will see me. What? (laughs) Okay. Let's study. What does he mean? Well, a little bit of insight, and it it makes a little bit of sense. What he is saying is, in a little while, you will not see me. That's true. Why? Because he's going to the Father. You will not see me with your eyes in a little while. I'm going to die. I'm going to the Father, and I won't be around any longer. And so you won't see me with your eyes anymore. And then he says, and then a little while you will see me. But it's a different see me there. It's a different type of word there. It's in a little while you will understand me. You will understand me, right? We have that. We get that, right? When when you don't understand something, and somebody takes a moment and says, explains it to you. I look at look at rugby. Have you ever tried to watch a game of rugby? I don't get it. And I've had people try to explain it to me. I still don't get it, but I understand it a little better than I did at one point. And so when 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 you're when you're illuminated, when you when you do understand, what do you say? Oh, I see. I see. I understand what you're saying. That's what Jesus is saying here. In a little while, you won't see me because I'm leaving. But then in a little while, you will understand. You will see me. You will understand. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's coming. And He will lead us in all truth. Now I see. But the disciples... They didn't get it, and that's cool. I appreciate that because a lot of times I don't get it either. And so they, then some of his disciples said among themselves, so they're over here, what is this, what is this that he says to us a little while and you don't, will not see me? And again a little while and you will see me. And because I go to the Father. They said therefore, what is this that he says a little while? We do not know what he's saying. <laughs> so they're all over, so, 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 I don't get it. And Jesus is over there. I just, I don't know if he's picking grapes from the, 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 the vine, you know, and eating them, and, and he just starts chuckling. <laughs> and, and he knows what they're talking about, you know. I don't know what he's saying. 
Now Jesus knew that they desired to ask him. (laughs) And he said to them, Are you inquiring among yourselves about what I said? A little while and you will not see me, and again a little while you will see me? Most assuredly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice, and you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. And so he's just, again, the reason he's saying these things is so that they might be prepared for about what, what is about to happen. He's saying, you will have sorrow. These things are going to happen. Uh, you will weep. You will lament. Why? Because your dreams have been shattered, and you, I'm going to the cross. I am leaving you. But... Your sorrow will be turned into joy. And we see that in the, in the momentary as Christ is put into the tomb, yet three days later, Peter is running to the tomb and, and, and joy happens when Jesus appears in their midst, risen from the grave. Their, their, their sorrow is turned into joy. But I also think, it, as he said, I am going to the Father and you will not see me anymore. He's also referring to another time. He's also referring to the time that he's going to return, the time that he is going to come back. And you and I still today hold on to the promise that he is going to return. We sang that song, we're going to see Jesus. We're going to see his face. And I fully believe that. We will see him face to face. There is the promise of his return. Christ will ascend. Christ does ascend. The Spirit would, will come. They does, the Spirit does fill their hearts. And yet... They would be killed. But there is the promise of His return when sorrow will be turned into joy. And then He he likens it to a a woman in labor. Uh, No greater pain, no greater joy for a woman from what what people have said. Uh, 21, a woman when she is in labor has sorrow because of her her hour has come. But as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Therefore, you now have sorrow, but I will see you again. Oh, thank you, Lord. And your heart will rejoice, and your joy no one will take from you. A day is coming when that joy will not be taken from us. It reminded me of Revelation. Also, same author, written by John, the last chapter of the Bible. Now I saw a heaven, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more at sea. Also, there was no more sea. Then I saw John, then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them, and they, and they will be with God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said, Write, he said to me, Write these words, for they are faithful and they are true. There is a day coming when we will, our joy will not be taken from us. Death and sorrow and crying and pain, those former things will have passed away when we see Him face to face. And 23 says, and in that day, you will ask me nothing. (laughs) Thank you, Lord. Why? Because everything will be made plain. Everything will, Paul says, now we see dimly in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. All will be made plain in that day. 
In that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask and ask the Father in my name, he will give you. When our hearts um, are aligned with the nature and character of Christ, we ask the Father in the name of Jesus and he grants our requests. Until now you have nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. We've heard this time and time again as Jesus is walking us through the upper room discourse. Ask, receive. Joy is in Him. Find it. Follow Him. Abide in Him. And then finishing up the chapter. These things I've spoken to you in figurative language, but the time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I shall pray the Father for you, for the Father himself loves you. Hear that, Christian. The Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed, there it is, that I came forth from God. I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. I think it's Proverbs verse 30, verse 4. Uh, whom shall descend except, or whom shall ascend except him who has descended? Verse 29, his disciples said to him, see now you are speaking plainly and using no figure of speech. It's like the light bulb goes on. Oh, I get it. (laughs) The disciples, I get it. Well, for a moment they do. They say, now we are sure that you know all things and have no need of anyone that anyone should question you. By this, we believe that you came forth from God. (laughs) And Jesus answered them, oh, do you now believe? (laughs) Oh, do you now believe? And I don't think he's chiding them. Don't, don't hear that in my voice, I hopefully. He's, he's saying, I'm glad you do. But he also knows what's right around the corner for these disciples. And he says in the next verse, Indeed, the hour is coming, yes, now has come, that you will be scattered each to his own, and you'll leave me alone. And yet I'm not alone because the Father is with me. And then the last thought, Uh, before he begins to pray for them and for us, he says in 33, these things I've spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. I've spoken these things to you that you might have peace. Do you want peace in your life? Abide in Him. That's what He said. I, I'm telling you these things so that you would know that they might not that they might not stumble you. Abide in Me. Breathe in Me. Live in Me. That's the best place for for us to be is in Christ. And I've spoken to them that we may have peace. I want peace in my life. I don't know about you. I think you probably want peace in your life too. Listen to the words of Christ. And then the question has been around for a long, long time. Is this world, to the Christian, is this world a playground or a battleground? I tend to lean toward the side of believing that this world is a battleground. Why? Because of verses like this, in this world you will have tribulation. Does that mean that this world isn't enjoyable at times? Does that mean there aren't beautiful things in this world? Does that mean there aren't good things in this world? No, not at all. I think those things are the grace of the Lord as well. And He grants them to us in this life as well. But generally speaking, this world is tribulation. This world is hard. They will hate you. They may even kill you. But be of good cheer. Why? Because the victory's already won. The victory's already won. I've overcome the world, Jesus says. And for the Christian, yes, we are in the battle. Yes, we live in the battleground. But we, for the Christian, we don't fight for victory. 
We fight from victory. We're not looking to win the war. The war's already been won in Jesus. We fight from that victory. And that allows us to overcome the, the hardships of this world, the difficulties of this world, even if it costs us our life. So what do we take from these, this chapter? How about this? Just some, there could be many things. And I trust that the Lord is leading you in the way that He sees fit. But just some thoughts. How about we trust Him? How about we trust Him that His plan is far better than ours? Even when we can't see it. They couldn't see it. The, the disciples didn't understand it. How about we trust Him? Let's align our hearts with His Word. And we do that by reading and praying and fasting. Align our hearts with His Word. And then take this with you. In Him is the victory. In Him is the victory. And we trust in Him. He has overcome the world. We just abide in Him. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. Let's close in prayer. Amen. Jesus, we're celebrating Memorial Day this weekend and remembering all those that have gone before us, but specifically those who have laid down their lives to defend our freedoms, to allow us to come together and to gather and to worship. And we say thank you for every man and every woman who has fought the good fight that defended our country from hurt, harm, and danger. We thank you for the freedom that comes that we have in this day and in this moment to worship you because of their sacrifice. But we also remember the defender of our faith. We remember the one who laid down his life to free us from tyranny far greater than any that this world could impose, the tyranny of sin and death. Jesus, that's you. Thank you for freeing us that we might have life in you and life to the full, joy overwhelming as long as we abide in you, as long as we obey the commandment that you have given to love. Father, guide and direct us and help us to remember your ways are higher than our ways. Trust in you. Help us to remember to abide in you, in your word, in prayer, in fasting. And Father, when times do get difficult, and they will for all of us, help us to remember that you already have the victory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Church 860 podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed it. If you have, we ask that you would like and subscribe to the podcast so that you can get daily updates. If you'd like to know more about Church 860, please visit church860.com. Thank you. God bless.